Last service was a little bit different. Uh, it was called uh, throwing a curveball on us. Uh, we had a young lady who had a seizure in our first service uh, right after we'd sunk. We were about right here right now, and I hadn't gotten up yet. And so uh, I, did, I just revamped everything last service and, and uh, went on the fly. So we, uh, it worked. So I may do a little bit of that this service, not totally, because people said, I liked what you shared. I'm going like, that was totally off script. And uh, maybe I need to do that more often. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're glad you're here. Um, yeah, but the lady girl was all right. I, she, I think it was diabetic or something, and so uh, she took her to the hospital. And, we, and, we, and, you know, the thing is, I said, if something like that's going to happen to you, like you have something going on, this is a great place for it to happen. Uh, we have EMTs. We have doctors. We have nurses. We have all kind of, we had like a, we had more healthcare people here than most hospitals uh, and uh, so, uh, so anyway, that's what happened last service. So today we're going to kind of finish up this whole thing of Daniel. We've been studying Daniel the whole summer and uh, went through the first six chapters of Daniel and uh, you're going to like, well, there's six more chapters. Yeah, and I told you we we're going to cover all those because uh, that's uh, called the uh, more uh, uh, obscure ch- uh, chapters. Chapters seven and eight uh, were chapters about visions that Daniel had. It really referred back to chapter four and five. And then chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12 deal with some other visions and stuff as well. And uh, we may in the future sometime look at those. But right now, I'm just going to finish up today by looking at chapter 9. Because chapter 9 of Daniel, not the whole chapter, but part of it deals with a prayer that Daniel had. Now, the interesting thing about Daniel is this. Is uh, when Daniel went into captivity with the rest of the Jews, he didn't have a copy of the Bible like we have today. You know, we kind of think that, oh, everybody's always had this. You know, no. Back in Daniel's day, all they had had of Scripture was bits and pieces, some scrolls of just a few things that were uh, a part of Scripture. And and, and probably one of the things he had was the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, because he refers to them in the Scripture we're looking at today. And he was, was, uh, Jeremiah was the last, uh, was around just before the time of Daniel and his friends. And, and he, was, uh, he was the guy who was the last prophet to call on the Jews to repent before the judgment of God that happened that took them to the, to the land of Babylon and into captivity for the 70 years they were there. So that was the person he was reading. And so one day, and I'm guessing this, and this is, doesn't say this in Scripture, but I'm guessing this, Daniel was having his quiet time, okay? And he would pulled out a scroll, whatever it was, and he was reading. And it says, this is what it says about in Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. It says, in the first year of his Darius's reign, that was the new king, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and in ashes. And, and if we were looking over Daniel's shoulders, probably what we would see him reading is this portion of Scripture from Jeremiah chapter 25, which says exactly what he just referred to. And it says this in Jeremiah 25, uh, and he's, he's prophesying what's going to happen to the people of Israel ahead in the future. He says, because you have not listened to my words, talking to the Israelites, I will summon all the people of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land, its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from uh, from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. 
This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, talking about the land of Israel. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And Daniel, as we remember when we first started this, this study back in Daniel chapter 1, was probably 15 or 16 years old when he was taken into captivity along with his friends. He was in the first part of what we called it was three actually times over just a very brief period of time when, when the Babylonians took large portions of people from the land of Israel and took them into the land of Babylon as captives. And he was in the first wave of that as well. Um, so he, he saw lived out, he'd been living there uh, now, and we know that, Nebuch, or that Darius becomes the ruler of Babylon uh, in a specific year, and so we know that this has been basically almost exactly 70 years since, uh, since this, this, this whole thing took place. And so looking back at the scripture, um, I'm sure that, uh, that Daniel was kind of excited because he'd go like, God, you said that we'll only be here for 70 years. 70 years is about up. And he also might have read from Jeremiah verse 29, uh, chapter 29, verses 10 and 13, it says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, I'm talking to the Israelites once again, and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, uh, plans to give you hope in the future. Then... And this is the important thing. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I wonder when Daniel read that, how excited he must have been. I mean, he'd been in captivity for 70 years, most of his life. He was an old man now. He was in his mid 80s. And here he was uh, reading from scripture. He's going like, wow. This is fantastic. Finally, God, you know, God's going to do, and, 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 and the thing was, is when he read the scripture, he believed the scripture. He didn't read it for information. He read it because he wanted to know what God's plan, what God's will was. Because if we, if we remember, we've looked back in this study in the first uh, several chapters of the book of Daniel, Daniel was a man who was close to God's heart. He was probably one of only maybe a couple of people in the Old Testament who nobody the Bible never says anything bad about. Basically, time after time after time, we see that he was a person who, that the Bible only talks good about. So when, we, when Daniel read in the book of Jeremiah that God was going to keep his people in captivity for 70 years then release them, he believed it. But then a very strange thing happens, and we read here in these two verses that we just read a minute ago. He says that when he read this, he got excited, and so what does he do? He goes and falls on his knees and begins to pray and begins to seek God in this. But God, didn't God say he was already going to do it? So why pray about it? I mean, if God's going to do it, why pray about it? It's a good question. I mean, when we read stuff in Scripture and then we turn around and pray, why do we pray if God said he's going to do it? Why do we do that? Is it maybe that we've missed the point of prayer in a real sense? See, because God... I don't know about your God, but the God I see of Scripture, the God I believe in, is the God that knows what he's doing. He creates all things. He knows all things. God knows his plans. And even when we, he reveals his plans to us, he expects us to pray over that plan. Why? Well, 1 John 5, in 1 John 5, it says this, If you ask anything according to his will, 
He hears us. And if, we, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, what we have what we have asked of him. If we ask according to his will. If we know that it's God's will. And how do we know God's will today? Well, unlike Daniel that sometimes had visions, we have what's called the completed canon of Scripture today. We have all of Scripture today. He just had a few little things, little pieces, bits and pieces of Scripture. But God reveals himself most to us through this. He, he, he tells us so many things in here and how to live life and so many things. And sometimes I get the impression that I have often misunderstood for many, many years uh, the meaning of prayer because prayer is not to get God to change his will because if we really believe that God, the will of God is perfect and God is a perfect God, then why would we want him to change his mind if it's already perfect? Is that logical? Yeah, that's logical. Uh, you know, our prayers really ought to be prompted out of our deep understanding of what the will of God is. So what is the purpose of prayer then? then I think the thing is today we're going to talk about this and see this. Daniel began to pray because he understood God had a plan and a purpose and he had a perfect will, but he wanted God's people to be aligned with that will. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to change his mind to do what we wanted to do. The purpose of prayer is us to be aligned with God's will. And to follow what his plan is for our lives. So when we read God's word, it's interesting that uh, sometimes we pray and it's the biggest waste of time in, in Christian to be praying about things that God already said we shouldn't do. I mean, I've had people over the years come to me and say, well, you know, I, I never forget years ago when I was a youth pastor, my first position was youth. I was youth and music, believe it or not. I, that was back pre uh, praise team okay um i, I directed i could direct you know <laughs> whatever um nobody followed my direction but anyway uh I, I directed i had a choir we had a choir i directed a choir in a little country church and uh, at flat rock baptist church in in uh, a place in in uh, north carolina uh, in seminary and um so often, I remember when I was there, and this one girl comes to me, and she, I was probably only, I guess, how old were we, honey? I don't know, my wife's here somewhere. We were in our 20s, I guess, when I was seminary, you know, seminary, mid-20s, late-20s, something like, late-20s, late-20s. And uh, I was there, and this girl comes to me, and she was probably 21, 22, and she was talking about this wonderful guy that she had met. And we started talking. I knew she was a committed Christian. She had been a, a committed Christian. She had been a, just a pillar in the church, had been there. She was in the choir. That's why she was talking to me. And she said, you know, and I said, started talking to her. I said, well, you know, what is it? She said, I've been praying that God would just, you know, just bring this about. I said, well, tell me about him. First thing she told me is this. Well, you know, he's not a Christian, but, and I'm going like, do you know what it says in Scripture about being unequally yoked? It has to do with, with like values. I said, you know, well, number one, don't pray for something that God's already told you in Scripture that you're not supposed to do because you're wasting your time. See, prayer is not to change God's mind about this guy. It's fine to pray about him and him coming to Christ, but don't change your, don't think that God's going to change his mind. He has a reason for what he says. I just want an example of a thousand that I could give you. But the reality is never right to pray about that which God has already said is wrong. And we might as well save our energy. And Daniel, the reason Daniel was praying here though in scripture is he not only prayed frequently, but he prayed fervently. It says 
He turned, go back to that verse in verse 3, it says, He turned to the Lord God and he pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. Now, how many of you have ever done that? I haven't. I've done some of those things, not most of them. But you've got to understand that the Old Testament, the Old Testament time, there's a lot of things when you were doing this really fervent praying that you did. It, it talks about this so often in Scripture. It says, for instance, in Old Testament culture, there were certain things that people would do um, to accompany intense prayer. Uh, Daniel said he put on sackcloth. Now, what in the world is sackcloth? I guess it's a cloth that's made out of a sack. That's what I'm guessing. And the thing is, he put it on because it was kind of like showing he was humbled himself before God. It's, uh, there's places us also, it says in jo- the book of Job, it says that while he prayed, he was sitting in an ash pile and putting ashes on his head. That's kind of weird. But I mean, that's what he did to show the intensity of his prayer. It also says that, you know, praying was accompanied in some places by the shaving off of people's hair. You know, I mean, if you get really into praying and you really want to see God in the Old Testament, one of the things you might do is shave your head, put ashes on your head and wear a sack. That's a pretty strange looking thing, but that was what they did. So that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about the intensity of this prayer was more than just like the prayers like, well, God, you know, I'm just, you know, sometimes we just pray like it's this casual thing. But I know you know the difference between that and what intense prayers are. You know what I'm talking about. Something, you're going through something in life and the intensity of the situation causes you to call out to God in a different way. My wife and I have going through, been going through some of that stuff this week. Um, I, and I appreciate the last service. Like I said, everything changed, and we had communion at the end. And uh, one brother came up to me and sat down with me, and he was sharing about what God had done in his life. And I was just so excited about you know, his, his attitude toward things. But he did, he'd had a really tough time. But this past week, you know, I, was, I was going like, we had, we've had some intense praying this past week in our family. My wife found out, uh, and we actually found, or we both found out, but my wife found out that, that on Tuesday, my father-in-law got back uh, some test results uh, from, he had a tumor on his bladder and discovered, we discovered it was aggressive bladder cancer, uh, invasive aggressive bladder cancer, which means it's probably penetrated the wall of his bladder. Now, you wanted to know all of that, I know, but I tell you that because that means it could be potentially spread off throughout his body. On Thursday, he had scans done. We're still waiting to hear about the results of those scans. You know, that's intense praying. At the same time, we're having kind of like, we're sitting there, we're going like, do we need to run and jump in the car and head to Virginia? That's where both our parents live because of that. Or do we, my wife already has a suitcase packed, but not for that. Because on the other end, our son, who lives in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and his wife are getting ready to have a baby. And she, they say she's going to have a baby in about two weeks. I don't believe it. She won't last that long. The girl's about to explode. <laughs> and she's doing fine. But, you know, so my wife, every time the phone, the, the cell, our cell phone rings, my wife grabs it and runs over to the phone. Goes, and if it says Keith... We're thinking, baby. So we're praying intensely as well about the, you know, the, the healthy birth of a baby as well. And, you, and you, those things in life, you don't just do this casual prayer about, do you? 
And you've been through things in your life that you haven't, you didn't put sack, you didn't wear sacks, and you didn't put ashes on your head, and you didn't shave your head, unless you're Chris. And, and the thing is, I saw you back there, Chris. Anyway, the, the light was shining off your head. So uh, <laughs> that's why I still have a little bit of hair, so it kind of dulls the light up here. So that's kind of the deal. Even though we do have a camera down here now that's actually a panoramic camera that we're looking at, it's actually video. It might, we might actually live stream this thing someday. Who knows? It's getting really weird and technical. So, uh, but I simply say that the kind of prayer that Daniel was doing here was a prayer that was so intense and so important that he was, he was doing all these things. It wasn't his casual prayer. And it says he also fasted. That's one of the things that I have done. And so often I think it's a, it's a lost thing. We think fasting's about not eating. Yeah, you don't eat when you fast, but it's not about not eating. It's about not eating or not, or, and spending the time that you would normally be doing like we as Americans do, eat a lot. Spend that time in prayer, seeking God for something. And I've shared with you, there's been intense times of that in my life as well. And we were in another stage of that in our lives. Vicki and I, we've been sharing, you know, shared, we're transitioning toward retirement in a few years. But we believe that God is, it's not retirement of quitting, it's retirement of transitioning to something else because God is, God led us here 14 years ago through weeks of fasting and praying together. And we believe God has something else in store for us down the road. We don't know what it is yet. But it's that intensity of wanting to know what God's will is and seeking his heart. It's not trying to change God's mind. God, I just want you to, you know. No, it's, it's, it's seeking that. It's, it's what Daniel was doing here. And as Daniel continued to pray in verses 4 through 6, we see another transition as well. Uh, you know, I found this among the hardest words to utter for most of us is this, I am wrong, or the other words are, I have sinned. For some reason, we have this problem of admitting we're sinners, even though the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who does all include? The Greek word does not mean anything except what it means in English. Everybody. Okay? There's no strange word there for that. It's just everybody has sinned. So, uh, we, but we have a problem admitting that. See, the, the type of prayer here that Daniel prays, the type of life-changing prayer that this, this is all about here, is born out of confessing our wickedness before God. What does Daniel do? He comes in, and we know, like I said, Daniel was a guy that if you look in Scripture, you're going like, Daniel's a man without fault. If, no, if anybody else could probably pray, well, God, you know, I'll, let me talk to you about your people. But what, what is, how does he pray? He says, we. He includes himself in this. Because, to see, the, the, the thing is, is this, is that people who, who are who are close to God, the closer you get to God, the more you're aware of your wickedness. And so what does Daniel do in verse 4? He says this, he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned, me included, and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name uh, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. We've done all these things. The reason we're in the mess we're in, the reason we've been in captivity, Daniel is saying, for the last 70 years is because we turned away from you, God, and you did exactly what you said you would do, because you're faithful. 
Daniel didn't point a finger at everybody else and go like, look at those people. No, he could have, but he didn't. Because one of the things we often have lost out in our culture is this, is that we are a family, a community. You know, let, me, let me tell you how that works. When somebody at Great Oaks, I hear about somebody who is, is this never happens, of course, but it, just hypothetically, somebody does something that's like questionable and they put it on Facebook and they go to Great Oaks and they put, you know, they have like, you know, their likes. You, you, you know how Facebook works, right? You got all the stuff. You got all your life history on there. Dumb. And you do something like that and somebody says, well, did you hear about, and, and I'm, it, it breaks my heart because I'm going, they're one of us. They're not only a representative of Great Oaks, they're a representative of God. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we affect what happens. What happens with us affects everyone. We're not just, it just doesn't happen to them. It happens to everyone. So think about this. When Daniel's praying, he's saying, God, we are responsible. I mean, I'm part of this, this mess. I may not, may not have been, he didn't go into anything about, well, maybe I'm not wanting as much guilty as that guy over there, but... But that's just the way it is. He confesses his sins because the more devout a person is, the deeper his love for God and commitment to Christ, the greater his sense of sinfulness. Now, in the New Testament, the word confession means to admit our guilt. And when we confess our sins, we verbalize our spiritual shortcomings. And implicit, implicit in that confession is that we're not going to do it anymore. It's not just like, well, I did it. I'm sorry. I got caught. Tomorrow, I'll probably do it again. That's not the deal. The confession that, that Daniel is doing here, he's doing for his people, and he's doing for himself, is, is a confession of not only confession like we think of, but it's repentance as well. And so I love this here because he's at the place where God has already said, hey, going back, God's already said in Jeremiah, 70 years, and I'm going to free the people. Daniel could have sat back and waited, right? Because God's faithful. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. But he's going, no. God, I want your people to be aligned with your will because when they get back to the, their place, they need to realize that they were responsible for their sin. And then the only time that you will change and, be, and repent is when you accept responsibility. So he prays this prayer. And then I'm not going to read all verses uh, 7 through 15, but if you read those verses, he goes on and he talks about this whole thing of, of what they've done and how they've done it. And he goes into more detail and then he magnifies God. And then in the end, um, the verse 16, kind of verse 16 kind of wraps it up. And it kind of is the whole character of his prayers wrapped up in verse 16. He says this, verse 16 through 19. O, o Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. And then if you want to read the next couple of verses, verses, uh, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, it says, it says this. I'll just read it to you. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, God, for your sake, Lord, for your sake, not for our sake, for your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not, and this is important, we do not make request of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. 
saying this, God, we can say we're sorry all day long. And we can be sorry and we can repent. But that alone is not enough to change anything. What's going to change anything is what you have done for us, God. What you are, the kind of God that you are. He said, says this, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. He's saying, God, for your reputation, may we repent and turn and that people will look, look at you with favor again. And somebody asked this question. I mean, that's the kind of prayer that Daniel prayed. After 70 years, 70 years of being in Babylon and being under, under these people, what he says is this. He says, he says, hey, God, we're responsible for this. Now, let's get realigned with you so that you can lead us into a new direction because, God, you've told us that you're going to free us from this place. And, God, what's most important is not about us. It's about you. It's about your reputation. So how do we pray? Can I just be honest with you about my, maybe this is just my prayers, but I think it's your prayers too. Most of our prayers are self-centered. God, this is why I am. Will you do this for me? This is what I want. I mean, this week I have to, I have to admit to you that a lot of our prayers, a lot of my prayers, I don't know about anybody else's, a lot of my prayers for my family have been self-centered. You know, God heal my father-in-law of this help help it not to be serious cancer you know what my father-in-law told us you know he told us he's 84 years old and he, he was he's a retired baptist minister and actually he up till two years ago he was still he was still a um interim pastor of a church at 82 i played golf with him three years ago and walked 18 holes i'm going like i wish i could do that at 80 81 years old in florida at 95 degree heat He told us a couple of weeks ago, he told his wife, and then he told my wife, his, daughter, his oldest daughter, and, and, and I guess he told his son and, and, and his other daughter. He said this, he said, you know, and I've thought about this. He said, I think, this is before he knew he had cancer. He said, I think I have cancer, but it's all right because I've lived a life that's been blessed. And, and, and if, it, you know, if it doesn't last much longer, that's all right. Because, I, I, you know, I'm fine. And I thought about that, and I'm going like, well, I guess he's preparing his wife and his kids for what might happen. But that was a prayer that had nothing to do with, God, help me not to have any pain. Help me not to have any suffering. If it's going to go through, I'm fine, God, because you'll bless me all these years. That's an unselfish prayer. That's a prayer that's, that's based upon this kind of prayer that Daniel was praying. God, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your reputation, your glory. And if we followed God's, God's example, if we were jealous for God's reputation and for his testimony, what a difference it would make in the way we live in the winter in which we pray. See, real prayer is finding out what God is doing and asking him to help us to know what he wants us to do in light of that. That's my wife's and our prayer right now. God, in light of what you're doing, wherever you're doing it, and whatever you want us to do next, just let us know. 
You don't have to write it on the wall. I mean, I want to do it by faith too. I want, to get, I want a little bit of direction. At least maybe, you know, continental United States or something. I don't know. But God, I, I want to do what you want to do. What you want us to do. I want to be involved in what you're doing. And, and, and if we prayed that prayer, if every morning we woke up and we're going like, God, today is your day. What do you want me to do? How would it change what you do today? And tomorrow. And the next day. I think it would change it pretty drastically in some, some cases. Because that is what a fervent prayer does. It leads us to being aligned with God's will. So, how do we get there? Well, we do what Daniel did. We repent. We confess that we're at fault for not following him and doing what he wants us to do. We confess our sins and repent. And that means we, we say, and then we realize that, God, the only reason we can do this, the only reason that this can happen is because of what you have done. Now, it's interesting in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament period, once people repented and confessed and repented, one of the things they would do to show that the extent of what they were doing is they would have an animal sacrificed. It was accompanied by this act of repentance. By sacrificing the animal, the Israelites acknowledged the depth of their sin. The animal died in their place is what the, the image is. But then we come to the New Testament time, and it teaches us that our repentance does not have to need it. We don't need an animal sacrifice anymore. So good news for you guys today. You know, I don't have to go out and buy an animal to sacrifice it. Because the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. He offered, it says in Hebrews 10, one sacrifice for sins. And by this one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus' death and resurrection is the foundation of our faith, not our repentance. God calls us to repent of our sins to maintain a good relationship with God because when we don't have that relation, when, when we have sin in our life, it causes us not to have the relationship with God, but it doesn't save us. Jesus has done for us on the cross what needs to be done. So we need to stay, have a good standing. So today, we're going to close our service in just a moment. Our band's going to come on out. I think they're back there somewhere. Uh, going to come on out in a minute, and they're going to play a song. And we're going to do something that it's, it's important to do. But I want to explain. On, in the four corners of the room, there's communion elements on the tables. You're going to go by and partake of those. Now, what you can do is this. You could go by, pick them up, go back to your seat, sit down, and partake of them. But let me tell you what the Bible says about communion. When Jesus was with his disciples and he took the bread and these little wafers are symbolic of that bread he said as you repent of your sins come to me come to the table repent of your sins confess your sins and then what i want you to do is i want you to partake of this but to remind you of one thing that my body was broken for you that the reason you can have a future and a hope as it talks in Jeremiah is because of what I have done. Not because of anything that we have done. And then he took the cup and he said, you know, this, in the same way, he said, this cup is it's symbolic. This is not my blood, but this is symbolic of my blood which was shed for you upon a cross once again to do for you what no one could do for you, what you cannot do for yourself. And that's to put you in right relationship with me with no boundaries between us and between them. In between him. 
And so what we do today is we come to, this, to the table today, and I ask you to do this. We're gonna, I'm going to pray in a moment, and then the band's going to begin to play, and they're going to play a song. You can get up, and you can go to the one of the four, four tables. You can kind of spread out, pick up your elements, go back to your seat. And I want you to spend some time in confession and repentance before God. Because if you don't, the Bible says we, take, we partake of the elements in an unworthy manner. That means that our hearts aren't right between us and God. If, you, if anybody here, myself included, thinks that, every, that everything is fine, that I can just come and take of the elements and do it in a flippant manner, we've missed the point. This is our time today of confessing to God and repenting, like Daniel did for the people of Israel 2,500 years ago. And in doing so, realigning ourselves with what God's will is. And I would pray this week that every day you wake up and you ask this, this, this question, God, what it, this is your day. What do you want me to do with it? Because that is what our goal, and that's what our life should be like as believers in Christ. And in doing so, that's the future. That's the hope that God has for us to seek his will, and to do his will. If you're married, your pur purpose as a couple is not just to make each other happy. Your purpose is to glorify God and to be on mission for him. If you're single, God, God wants you to, to seek him with all of your heart. He has a purpose and a plan for you. And I want to tell you, I don't know what that is, but God does. And he'll begin to reveal parts of that to you if you seek him and pray to him with all of your heart. So let's do that today as we partake of the elements. May this just be something to help us to focus our, uh, our, our uh, attention today. I'm going to pray now. I'm not going to say anything else. The band's going to play. You're going to go out and get the elements in just a minute. And then as you do so, then you come back to your seat. Spend your time in reflection confession, repentance, and then partake of the elements, and then we'll close up with another song at the end of the, of the service today. Okay? God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We pray that you would just enable us this morning, God, to uh, seek you with all of our hearts and minds, strength and soul, that we would uh, encourage, uh, be encouraged by your word, God. Man, Daniel was so, I, I can't imagine the excitement that he had by realizing, he may have read it before, but, but rediscovering that truth of yours, that promise of yours, God, in Scripture there in Jeremiah. The promise that the past 70 years was almost done, and, and God, you were going to move them back to, the, to, to Jerusalem and to the place that they called home. Can't imagine what that would be like to be alienated and, and in captivity for all that time and all of a sudden have hope. But God, it's the kind of hope that we can have. Because God, we are in captivity to our sin in our life, to our own uh, focus, our own self-worth. And so often, God, we, we get lost in that. And we get busy trying to do too many things, God. And in doing so too many things, we don't do the one most important thing. And that is to seek your heart daily, God. To know your will. And then to do what it is you speak to us through your word and through the prayers that we pray. So guide us now, God, as we partake of the elements this morning. May this be a time not only of reflection, but of confession, repentance, and then reconnection with you, God, so that you can begin to work in our lives 
this very day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can get up and